0: Good morning. It's a crazy thing. We've got about 30 people here and also about 60 kids. It's incredible how, how every single children's feature, it's like I don't understand where they all come from, but they all end up here. Thank you very much, Dee, uh, for sharing with the kids. Appropriate for the season that we are in, heading into uh, Valentine's Day, and appropriate any time to speak about the love of God uh, and how that affects us and how that changes the way we live. As we get into our message today, let's open up in prayer. God, as we continue this series walking through our statement of faith, something that may seem a little bit, I don't know, procedural or dry, um, help our hearts and minds open up to the truth that you want to speak to us through this. Help this to become something that doesn't just sit in our, in our brains, but, but uh, steeps through all parts of us that, are, that our hearts are softened by this, that our actions are changed by this, that our thought life is transformed by this, uh, that we understand you better, that we understand ourselves better and the people around us better. Thank you for the gift of your word uh, that we can go to in order to try and understand the answers to these big questions in our lives. Bless us as we go into this today. In your name, amen. Amen. So today we are going to be actually looking through two pieces of our statement uh, of faith. Uh, We started off with Dion speaking about the Bible. We talked about God. We talked about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Last week uh, we looked at creation and we made it through. We made it through creation. I really enjoyed uh, walking through that with you, having the chance Uh, to speak on that a little bit, having a chance to have some interesting conversations during the week as well. Um, One of the things that we expressed last week is that there's lots of variation in how we think about these things. And I think that's actually a beautiful part of what sort of makes us church. That we're people that come together, we're not all the same, we don't think about everything the same, and yet we are unified supernaturally through Jesus, uh, through his death and resurrection, through his life and teachings. Uh, and that we're brought together as a body, not in spite of, uh, but because of, and through our uniqueness, we're made into uh, a body that functions well. Uh, Today, though, uh, we get a chance to look inward. All these other things have been somewhat external. We looked at the Bible, and at God, and at creation, and now we take an eye towards ourselves. And we look at uh, two pieces uh, from this statement of faith, two articles. We're going to look at article number four, which is... The Dignity of the Human Race and Article Number 5, which is The Fall of Man. And it feels right to combine these two because it's almost impossible in the world we live in to talk about one without talking about the other. Uh, In fact, it can feel almost a little bit dangerous to talk about one without talking about the other. If we only talk about the dignity of the human race, That's a great, feel-good message. But what do you do with all the evil in the world? With all the pain that humanity has caused itself and each other? And if you only look at the fall of man, we can get bogged down. We can get hyper-focused on sort of despair and hopelessness and a crushing awareness of our own sin and depravity and wretchedness. Uh, And that's something we need to work with and understand, but it's not something we want to just sit in. Because we've been created in the image of God, after all. That means something, even when we've messed up or sinned or made mistakes. And so these things in the world we live in, these things sit like two sides of a teeter-totter. They are both pieces of the puzzle called life on earth in the in-between. And so this sermon is going to be a bit of a teeter-totter, and if you know my relationship with teeter-totters, some of you have heard my teeter-totter story. If you haven't, you can ask me at lunch about my teeter-totter story, but you'll know how brave I am then for getting into this. We're going to start with the good news, Article 4, the dignity of the human race. And we're going to be going back to Genesis for this. These first few chapters of Genesis, Genesis 1-3, to are are remarkable because they do an incredible job of setting the stage for what is to come in the rest of Scripture. Almost every major theme, every major plot line or through line in Scripture is set up, the stakes are established, the dominoes are arranged for everything that comes afterwards uh, in these first few chapters. And one of the core biblical concepts that we find here is the dignity and the value and the purpose of humanity. There are two creation stories in Genesis, one after the other, and they both speak to this. In Genesis 1.27, we looked briefly at this verse last week. It says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Man and woman made in God's image. In Genesis 2, uh, we get a different picture of the creation of man. Another look into our purpose. It says, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. When God made the earth and the heavens, he spoke them into being. When he made the stars, and the sun, and the moon, and fish, and birds, and plants, and animals, he spoke them into being. When God made man, he formed us. The words give a more intimate connection. Like a potter working with clay, he formed us with his own hands. And he didn't simply speak us into existence. He breathed. He breathed his breath of life into us. We are God-breathed people. And so here we have in the garden, male and female, created in God's image, formed out of the dust into something that looks like God, that bears His image. And so here's my question for you. I sent it out in the Facebook chat ahead of time. Uh, Carl, thank you, Carl, reminded us of the fact that this is coming up. And I simply want to ask... Uh, and certainly I'm happy to have answers here, but I'm happy for this to be something that you simply chew on uh, in yourself and process a little bit. What does it mean? What are the the implications or how do our thoughts or perspectives change when we understand this sort of core truth that we're created in God's image? How does that change how we think about ourselves and about other people? I'll give you just a moment uh, to... Process that question, and if you like uh, to respond. If you've got a thought, it can just be a, a, a word or a sentence, doesn't have to be long. What changes? Everyone is, valuable. Everyone is valuable, right? Everybody has value. Outside of what they've done or accomplished, we all have value because we're created in the image of God. Yeah, thanks, Earl. Keeps you humble. So why do you say that, Paulina? We're all kind of on the same, the same level. It's, it is it's a humbling thing, right? To understand that God has created us in, him, in his image. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that has the potential to fill us with pride. But it's also something that kind of keeps us humble. It, 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 it gives us a sense of our place in the world. Yeah. Thank you. Give just a moment more. Take care of creation, of the world around us, of our bodies. Yes, of course. We're created in the image of God, and so we want to honor ourselves. We want to take care of ourselves because uh, we're not just some random thing that has been formed Uh, By chance we are created in God's image and therefore because we are valuable and have dignity we want to treat ourselves with value and dignity. Absolutely. Thanks Rick. This idea of of being an image bearer, I've preached on this before, it's one of my favorite topics because it's been so transformative to me uh, for the way I go through life. You don't need me to tell you again that the world is becoming increasingly divided and polarized. This sort of us versus them mentality uh, creeps into everything around us. From politics and religion to sports and social media, we see it everywhere. So how can we exist in a society that seems to think of everyone who thinks or believes differently than us as a mortal enemy? Well, first of all, we center ourselves on, we follow the one who calls us To love our enemies, as Jesus does. Uh, But more than that, Genesis gives us perspective on humans. Male and female, regardless of age or ability or stage of development, from womb to tomb, all of us are created in God's image. And that's what's going to be the basis for any conversation that we have. Around ethics, around abortion, around war, around medically assisted suicide, around the death penalty, around immigration. This concept changes the way that we have those conversations. And some of that we will get into later in this series. But as a Christian, all of these conversations must begin with the basic understanding that all people are created in the image of God and therefore have a dignity and a value and a worth that cannot be taken away. There's a beautiful psalm, Psalm 139. Uh, Familiar verses to us. Uh, Verses that Carl read earlier uh, when he opened up this service. These are promises that we can speak over ourselves when we're struggling with shame or doubt or a sense of worthlessness or anxiety or uncertainty. Beautiful verses. They're verses that are listed in our statement of faith under this topic. An exercise that I have sometimes done when I'm at my wit's end with somebody When I have had enough, when I'm at a place where I'm tempted to stop seeing someone as a human and start seeing them as an object or as an obstacle, the challenge that I give myself sometimes is to pray these verses over them. To take a moment and to go, God, for you created their inmost being. You knit them together in their mother's womb. I praise you because they are fearfully and wonderfully made. Their frame was not hidden from you when they were made in the secret place. When they were woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw their unformed body. All the days ordained for them were written in your book before one of them came to be. It's a perspective changer. It's an important reminder. Whatever the next steps are, In that relationship. And I want to make a disclaimer here, as I often do with these things, that there are unsafe relationships for all sorts of reasons in our lives. And the call to love our enemies, to see the image of God stamped on everyone around us, is not a call to be an open and vulnerable relationship with everybody. There are situations that are unhealthy or unsafe for all sorts of reasons, where we have the right to step away from Direct relationship. But whatever the next steps are, the way I am thinking about that person and about God's role in that situation has shifted. We are all made in God's image. N.T. Wright, a theologian, talks about this idea as being uh, an angled mirror. He says being made in the image of God is like being an angled mirror. And he tells a story of being sick and quarantined in his room as a child and his mother putting an angled mirror in the hallway so that he could see what was going on in the rest of the house and that people in the rest of the house could see him there in this room. And he says, when we are functioning well as image bearers, we are allowing the world to see God through us. We are the thing that reflects God out. Into the world, and we are also reflecting the world creation, the things around us, back up to God. We are bringing the world to Him, and we are bringing Him to the world. As image bearers, we can think of ourselves as an angled mirror. Uh, In Genesis, we have this beautiful declaration We are made with a purpose and intention. We are molded by God's hand. We are given His breath. We are made in His image to reflect Him to the world and to reflect the worship of creation around us back to God. And then we get to chapter 3. And we hit the other side of this teeter-totter. Chapter 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. I want to stop here and talk about this serpent. This kind of heart-dropping moment here, the frustration here in this perfect situation. This serpent, with no introduction, no background, kind of weasels its way into the picture. What is this serpent? Where did it come from? What does it want? Why is it here? I want to stop and talk about it, but I won't. We're going to be covering the next article in the Statement of Faith, Satan, uh, in two weeks. So I'm not going to stop today and talk about what the serpent is. But I want to talk a bit about the conversation he has with Eve here in the beginning of chapter 3 because we get an important picture into the nature of sin. Here's what it says, continuing on in the chapter. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And I think at some level we can argue that those four words are the root of all sin. Did God really say? Did God really say? See, the devil's main trick is subtlety. He's smart enough to know here in the midst of paradise that to go up to Eve and say, God's lying to you, you should listen to me instead... That Eve would shut that down instantly. She wouldn't take the bait. Her defenses would jump up. So what he says is, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And he twists God's words. What God did say, if we go back to chapter 2, he says, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the devil twists it. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And we have the first lie enter the world from the father of lies himself. Lie number one God is withholding from you, He's holding something back. He's not giving you everything that you want or deserve. And so you need to take matters into your own hands. Who cares if you can have all the trees in the world if you can't have that one? If you can't have that one, you may as well not have any of them. God's keeping something from you. All that matters is what you don't have. And Eve is smart enough here to correct the serpent. We may eat from the fruit of the garden, but God did say that you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And here is the second lie that builds on the first. God is not trustworthy. God's threatened by you. God's petty. He's a narcissist. He's only focused on himself. Did God really say that? And if he did, can you really trust him? That's the root. That's the root of sin. God can't be trusted. He doesn't really care about you. He's using you. He doesn't care who you become. He doesn't really love you. Not always. Not completely. God's keeping things from you. And he can't be trusted. Not really. You need to hedge your bets. You need to take things into your own hand. You need to start approaching the promises of God, the purposes of God, the love that God has for us, with skepticism. And the snake whispers in our ear when we look at these things, and he says, did God really say that? Really? And watch what happens here in verse 6. It says, when the woman saw. And it's a fascinating thing to me. Satan has placed these lies into her heart. Did God really say? Can you really trust? Does He really love? Is He really good? Does He really have your best interests at heart? And now, suddenly to Eve, the world looks different. She sees different. She's got a new set of glasses on. She's lived in this garden for some time. It's not clear how long days, months, years they've been in the garden, maybe. She knows this garden, but suddenly it looks different. She's seeing it through the lens of the serpent's lies. Genesis 2 verse 9, a chapter earlier, says that God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Genesis 3 6 says, When the woman saw the fruit of this tree... The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree that would surely kill them. She saw, the fruit of the tree was, same words, good for food and pleasing to the eye. When we believe the devil's lies, all the goodness falls away, what God has done for us. None of that matters anymore. Instead, sin starts to look like it holds the same fulfillment for us as the gift that God has. For us, as the life that God created us for, God is untrustworthy. He can't be relied upon. He's out to get us, and so we take matters into our own hands and we look for other sources of fruit. 2 Timothy talks about being lovers of self, lovers of money, prideful, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful. And this is what we do. We justify and we reason and we rationalize because with the lie whispered in our ear, did God really say? We start to look at these things, money, power, pride, selfishness, and our hearts go, this is good food and pleasing to the eye. I like the life that this can bring, the security that this can bring, the pleasure that this can bring. And every time we do this, and every one of us have done this, in one way or another, we take a bite from that same apple. And so, in verse 7 it says, their eyes were opened. And here again, Satan told the truth. In a way, it's tricky how he gets you with subtlety, with half-truths. They did now see the world differently. They did now understand good and evil in a different way. But instead of empowering them, it enslaves them. Adam and Eve thought this would mean happiness and fulfillment and completeness, but instead it gives them a responsibility and a perspective that they were never meant to bear. And shame enters the picture. They've been naked this whole time, but now that their eyes are opened, now that these questions about God are in their minds... For the first time, they feel naked. They feel judged and shamed and self-conscious. And so we come to verse 8, which may be both the best and worst verse in Scripture. That's something my dad used to say growing up. He talked about this as his favorite verse in the Bible, being verse Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, the first half, which is, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. A picture of what was meant to be. God here with us, walking through the garden in the cool of the day, looking to connect, looking to be in relationship, looking to take a walk with us. And then Dad would say maybe his least favorite verse in the Bible was the second half of verse 8. And they hid from the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. And by our choice, by Adam and Eve's choice, separation exists for the first time ever. A brokenness, a division. That's what sin does. That's the result of sin. The Bible tells us this, but I think we understand it intuitively. You don't have to read the Bible to sort of get this. The result of sin is shame. Is the feeling that we need to hide, that we can no longer be our true selves. The result of sin is feeling that all of us, the feeling that all of us walk through life with at some level, wanting more than anything for the people around us and for God to truly see us and understand us, while at the same time being terrified of the idea that God or the people around us would ever truly see us or truly understand us. The thing that we most desperately want is also the thing that now most scares us. We're terrified of people seeing us as we are, all our darkest thoughts and our failures and our desires and our inadequacies and our embarrassments and our sinfulness. Sin drives us to cover up our nakedness, to put up barriers, protective walls between ourselves and God and between ourselves and the people around us. This is what the EMC Statement of Faith says. We believe our first parents in unbelief and disobedience fell into sin by their free choice. They broke their fellowship with God and brought the whole human race into that same state of sin and separation. And so this is where we find ourselves separated from God, driven out of the garden, broken, all having fallen short of the glory of God, wrestling with our sin nature. The Bible wrestles with this question. Paul in Romans says, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? In the first three chapters of Genesis, the story sets up the tension. The tension that will exist in all of us. The tension that we all live with. On the one hand, we are created with care and intention and molded by God to look like Him. Given His breath, Made in his image with a dignity and a worth that can never be taken away. And on the other hand, all of us have a snake whispering in our ears. Did God really say that? Really? Can he really be trusted? Does God really love you? Would anyone tolerate you, be in relationship with you if they understood the true you, the real you? You better take things into your own hands. You better build up your defenses. You better find security in other things. You better hide. As we close, there are two things I want to draw out here. First of all, the order of these statements matter. First, we are created in the image of God. All humanity has a dignity and a value and a worth. We are God-breathed and we bear his image. Second, we are fallen. We've all eaten from the apple that the serpent presents to Adam and Eve, we've all had that lie sitting there calling us to question, does God really say that? Does God really love me? Can God really be trusted? Sometimes Christianity has gotten this backwards, has said to those outside the church or even those inside the church, you are wretched, worthless, depraved, filthy, hateful to God, and it's only through Jesus that God can even stand to be around you. That sort of thinking, I think, has the potential to amplify those devil lies in our head and our heart. I think a better way to understand it is this. You have a worth and a value and a dignity that can never be taken away. Not by what others do or say. Not by what you do or say. But we are fallen. We have made the choice to turn away from God. We have rejected the good things that God has for us and tried to go our own way. And it is only through Christ and his death and resurrection and the work of the Holy Spirit that we can be brought back to the people that God has created us to be, that our spirits and selves can line up with the image bearers that we were created to be. You see how that's a different story? I think that's a better story. I think that's a truer story. As we think about these two statements, and as we close, I recall a saying from a Polish rabbi. I heard this story uh, a few months ago. This rabbi lived in the 1700s. He was asked the question, what should all believers do to help them live a life that is true to God? And his answer was that we should all carry around two stones in our pockets. And on one of those stones, it should say, I am but ashes and dust. And in the other pocket, the other stone should say, For my sake, the world was created. And you should be prepared to grab on to one or both of those stones, depending on what the situation calls for, to keep us in balance. We are made in God's image, we are loved by Him, we are given a dignity that can never be taken away, but we are fallen, we're distorted by sin. We hurt each other and ourselves in all sorts of horrible ways. We fall prey to the devil's lies whispered in our ears. Both of these things are true. This is the tension that we exist in. And thank God this is not the end of the story. As we walk through our statement of faith, we'll get past Genesis, past the introduction of creation, the problem of sin, and towards the ways that God is working in and through us And most of all, through Jesus Christ, to solve these problems, once and for all. But that's another week. Today, we hold two stones in our pocket. We are fallen, we've all eaten from the same tree that Adam and Eve did, and yet we are created in God's image with a purpose and a relationship and a dignity and a value that can never be taken away. Amen? Amen.